0: Whether the church has a vital role to play in national elections. What's she gonna do then? Well, that's what I've been sitting here contemplating. First, I'm gonna deliver this case to Marcellus. Then, basically, I'm just gonna walk the earth. What you mean walk the earth? You know, like Kane in Kung Fu. Walk from place to place, meet people, get in adventures. And how long do you intend to walk the earth? Till God puts me where he wants me to be. And what if you don't do that? If it takes forever then I'll walk forever. Welcome to walk the earth. I'm Greg. Quickly, right up front, let me just say that Walk the Earth can be found on Facebook with its own page and the inappropriate conversations can be found there as well. And one of the things I want to do in answering this question about really the role of politics plays within the church is to refer people to both of those pages. In particular, the Walk the Earth page, I've made it easy by putting a handful of recent posts out there that help us look at this question of the role politics may play, if not in religion, at least from the pulpit. Because I think that there's, it's not just as as simple as saying yes and no. It's not a good versus bad, at least not with a clear black and white distinction to be made. There's a fine line, and I intend to make it today. But before I do, I mentioned in the last episode of Walk the Earth That I was going to talk a little bit more about joining a church because the show itself is going to need to morph a little bit from being about seeking a new congregation and perhaps a new denomination by leaving a church behind, one that had lost its way, to now we've joined a church. And the church we've joined is called Harmony Springs Christian Church. Now, this church has an interesting and slightly different approach to the membership process that I found interesting and decided I wanted to share when I recorded the previous edition of Walk the Earth. Now, I say that it's a little bit different, but it's not altogether inconsistent with the very first episode of Walk the Earth, in that I talked a little bit about a normal order of worship, and among other things, at least by my recollection, I hope I included, is that moment of membership where somebody pledges to support the church with their prayers, their presence, their gifts, and their offerings. So presence in the sense of being there, praying is what it is, gifts is giving, that's, that's the financial part of it, and service. So even if somebody you know, doesn't have a mature prayer life, doesn't have a lot of financial resources, is limited in the way that they can show up, so maybe their work schedule means they can only be there one out of every three or four Sundays, they can still give in the form of service, they can still play a part by helping deliver food to people who are indigent, or things of that nature. There's lots of ways that you can be actively invested in the church. And the four that I was used to from the United Methodist tradition was that concept of prayer, presence, gifts, and service. At the church we just joined, we received a card called My Investment in 2015, and it comes out with the word thrive as the way they've done it. They've taken the word thrive, used the initials, and talked about the concepts of tithe, heart, resources, involvement, vision, and energy. And I want to talk a little bit about it, because I want to kind of emphasize that the financial giving is not the only, and perhaps in some situations, not even the primary way of being invested in a church. And the language that we hear isn't so much about being a member of something, but being part owner of something. Here's kind of what the top says when it comes to tithe financial giving. This represents my financial intention for the coming year, 2015, in response to God's call to generosity. I realize this is an estimate of giving and that it may be adjusted at any time. And so there's a couple of check boxes. I'd like to start giving to Harmony Springs for the first time. This was the answer we gave as members. Actually, no, we picked the next one because we've been giving as visitors. So we said, I want to continue to help the church to move from surviving to thriving. So I'm going to increase my giving. And of course, it's a little bit easier for... Uh, visitors who are regularly attending to increase their giving by becoming members, if only just by attending yet even more regularly. But it also says that acknowledging your gift to the church has committed you to praying regularly for individuals in the congregation by keeping your giving and your intention of giving confidential and by vigorously putting your giving to work effectively by ministering creatively, nimbly, and wisely. This is a church we're attending where they put a little stock into sustainability, things like recycling, for example, not having a bulletin. I mentioned early on in the church search that I wouldn't at all mind finding a church that wasn't printing so much paper every single week. And the church we've joined is one of those churches through the use of overhead projector and frankly, through the use of simply the the leadership of a worship leader. Not necessarily that important to print a whole lot of paper every single week that is used once for that one hour or so and then discarded or hopefully recycled. The next one after tithe is heart. And here it simply says, my heart is dry, I need the church to pray for me this year, and then gives a place where you can ask for anything specific from a prayer request. But there's also the choice to say, my heart is full, and I'd be happy to either offer meditations and prayers on the church prayer line, personally pray for somebody struggling with something regularly pray for the ministry of the church or have you send me prayer concerns on a regular basis via email or even phone so there's the hearts section the resources section uh, seems obvious to me it's either i have skills that others could benefit from and i'd like to share them and then a place to list out what they are or i'd like to hear more about and or participate in a work mission adventure let me know when they are happening so there's the resources answer Under involvement, there are several choices. I want to take my ownership in the ministry of Harmony Springs by giving my time. I would like to hear more about and or participate in things like committing a Sunday to the setup and tear-down. Remember, this is a church that doesn't have a regular building. So every week there's a process of setting up a worship area and then taking that back down again, including the, the music section. There's also the notion of participating in public prayer on Sunday being a welcomer or a greeter, uh, helping to clean up uh, some coffee mug washing, for example, preparing communion or serving communion, or engaging in children ministry, being part of the choir, or being a musician, all those sort of ways on Sunday. But then also during the week, they've got groups, and some of these I'm not firsthand familiar with, so I'm just reading them as they, they appear to me. The Environmental Green Team, Home and Hospital Visiting, Mission Trip Planning, Community Engagement, and examples there are like parades or other events, facilitating adult classes, helping with special services, uh, bringing communion or assisting in baptism, the 55 and older uh, activity group, things of that nature in terms of how to be involved. The assumption is that somebody who comes in with a huge giving from a tithe perspective would still be expected to answer the rest of these questions, and maybe in some of them there'll be more engagement than others, but a full investment, a full sense of ownership in a congregation and its mission involves not just money, I guess would be the way I would word that. The last two are vision and energy. Under vision is either I have a vision for ministry that expands Harmony Springs mission to bring wholeness to our community. And I'd like to talk to somebody about it, or I need guidance to see my place in ministry at Harmony Springs. I'd like to complete a spiritual gifts inventory to help me identify my God given gifts. And then finally, under Energy, also two choices there, at least from a checkbox perspective. I wholeheartedly support the ministry of Harmony Springs and will share my love of Harmony Springs with at least one other person this year. Thanks to this podcast, I was able to check that box and check it emphatically. On some level, I'm sharing my experience and my support for Harmony Springs with a way more than one other person this year. Although I will grant that there aren't that many people I'm sharing with who would be able to come and visit with me. But I'll say this, I said it a couple of episodes back, for the first time in a very, very long time, I'm part of a congregation now where I would be uh, less worried, perhaps even very pleased to invite an out-of-town friend or guest to experience worship the way this church does it. I would have been wary or even concerned in the previous church, especially if it was a week where there was a guest speaker or someone from the congregation sharing their testimony, because. I might have been worried about what might have been expressed there. As we get into the main question we're looking at on this particular episode of Walk the Earth, it might be easy for me to make that clear. The Sundays I I you know dreaded the most at the church we left were Sundays like the Fourth of July Independence Day, or in some ways Veterans Day or maybe Memorial Day, because it always turned into a patriotic flag waving, inness versus outness kind of a in some cases, even hateful things were said from the pulpit during those Sundays. Uh, who was truly an American and who is truly un-American in the eyes of that either pastor, which was rare, or guest speaker, which again, on two or three occasions, I can point to guest speakers who I would have been, I would have been really troubled if a friend of mine who happened to be part of a minority group had been there that Sunday. So, what are the answers under energy? is wholeheartedly supporting the ministry by sharing it with at least one other person. The other is, I'm interested in becoming an owner member of Harmony Springs. Let me know about the next round of ownership discussions. I won't share my answers. I just wanted to give a sense of kind of what this notion of being a a church member in the broader, more modern sense is. Because it used to be show up on Sunday, write your check, pray for the church, that's all. Nothing else was expected or perhaps even wanted from The members of the laity. And I've grown up in an era, and even as an adult in an era, when there was an expectation that people who were part of the congregation would participate in other ways. Reading scripture, for example, uh, being part of choirs, all that other sort of thing. There wasn't, as you see sometimes in these mega churches, this idea that paid staff are doing all that, and that's not for you. You're not supposed to participate in that. This is a very different story being told here. A hope, and perhaps even a mild expectation of broad participation from across the entire congregation. And it's consistent with a church that, again, has a checkbox for helping with the setup and tear-down of worship on Sundays, because it's a church that, without a building, has had to engage in a lot of aspects of congregational members providing assistance. So that's an interesting sheet. The one thing I would say... That, from my perspective is of some interest is there was a conversation that I had a while back with the pastor about resources that might be helpful if an adult sunday school group wanted to dive into some of the more contentious issues pastor is familiar with the inappropriate conversations podcast he had heard the walk the earth episode not long after the very first time we visited that church when they were meeting in a nearby shrine temple so he's kind of aware of what I do and I knew kind of what he was getting at when he asked, and went out found some friends, sought some resources, and handed them over, we will see if this means I become part of one of those types of small groups once again. To get back to our question, though, whether the church has a vital role to play in national elections seems a little bit bigger than just what is the local church's idea of complete community involvement. For one thing, I asked the question specific to national elections, and I do so because of some of the articles that I've recently shared on Walk the Earth, many of which had been previously shared on Inappropriate Conversations. One of them referring to the concept called Pulpit Freedom Sunday, or Pulpit Freedom Sundays. And the other one, just this past weekend at the time I'm recording, uh, something called I Stand Sunday, or I Stand Sundays. So... At the time I'm making this particular recording, trying to answer this question, I am less than 12 hours away from casting a vote in the November 2014 midterm national elections. This is not the place or the time for me to talk about how I intend to vote. It's a careful, considered plan, and I intend to go in, wait however long the line is, and execute to my game plan in terms of who I want to vote for. It's not always for me about voting for the winner. There is an inappropriate conversation show called Elections Are Not Horse Races. It kind of talks through that idea of it's okay to vote for somebody you feel has no chance to win. But it also isn't always usually going to be like a straight ticket one way or the other. The one thing I won't do is I won't allow myself to be swayed by people who misuse, in some ways, who misuse in the most egregious ways, terms like family and life. So I think I'm not going to refer directly to an article that talks about this concept of pulpit freedom Sunday. Basically, what you've got is a group of pastors, and it numbers the thousands, I'm told, who are in a provocative way, you know, during their sermon time on the pulpit on Sunday mornings, it's been more than one of these, actually telling their people in their congregation who to vote for and precisely how to vote. Now, part of this is simply petulance. It's the idea of forcing the IRS to do something with their tax status. But perhaps trying to force the IRS to do this at a time when you know maybe it could turn into an election issue. I personally think that if the IRS takes action against the 1,500 churches or so that have done this, that they wait and do it near the end of the year, at a time perhaps more appropriate for, for what we consider to be a tax season or an audit season. I do think there's a socially accepted convention that we do not tax our churches. And in response to that, our churches, however engaged in political questions and issues they may be, are not providing voting guides and using the you know threat of eternal damnation hanging over the heads of members of a congregation to force them to vote in a particular way. It seems like an easy bargain to me, and I don't really understand why there'd be more than a thousand pastors or even more than a hundred pastors Interested in breaking that social con- that social convention, at least as it applies to the city of Houston, Texas, I find the I Stand Sunday, even more objectionable, for a couple of reasons. First, the entire little rally or whatever it was that happened over this past weekend, is based on a huge, profound misunderstanding, and that's troublesome. And the other is that again, it's once once again an example of people trying to mix. What I might say the wrong kind of political activism, an indoctrination of sorts, telling people how to do things and what to vote for and who to vote for, instead of simply engaging people in the issues of the day and what we might learn from them theologically. There's a huge gap between those two concepts. I think that I worded it this way a few weeks ago, talking about the Pulpit Freedom Sunday idea on the Inappropriate Conversations Facebook page, rather than the the walk-the-earth one, says this, My strong opposition to the goals of the Pope of Freedom folks has almost nothing to do with protecting our system of government. It's really about protecting the body of Christ from a cancer that is growing stronger every year. It is the role of the Church that would be permanently compromised, becoming, in effect, an estate within government, as co-opted as the Fourth Estate has become. Now, if you don't know that the term Fourth Estate refers to the media, I don't blame you. The media hasn't fulfilled its role as an independent influence over politicians in decades. I just don't want the church to be co opted by the corruption of politics either. And I question the goals of those who do, wittingly or not, want the church to become co opted by the corruption of politics. So, what happened in Houston, Texas that caused this little uproar? Well, it's really not that complicated. The city of Houston passed a city ordinance that made it illegal for people to fire somebody on the basis of their sexual orientation. It was simply a way of protecting people from an inappropriate response of a company, and there's been many of them here lately, who do not seem to understand their role as employers And their role is, in many cases, maybe, for example, retailers. Uh, Some businesses don't understand that you don't get to put a sign outside in front of your business that says, if you you voted for Obama, don't shop here. I mean, legally, you can do that. You can tell customers to go away as much as you want to within limits. But why would you tell 51% of your customers not to come to your store anymore? And why would you take one of your best accountants and fire that individual for no other reason than who they love. So, the city of Houston, joining not just other cities, but frankly a ton of businesses. I feel like it's probably hard to find a Fortune 500 company or at least not many of them that don't have a policy similar to this in play. I have never worked in my adult life for a corporation that didn't have this as a standing policy and frankly didn't need the government to codify it into law to make sure that They did the right thing. Every company I've ever worked for did the right thing here anyway. It is wrong to discriminate against people based on who their family is or what their background is or who they love. Pretty simple stuff. But there was a group of churches in Houston, Texas, who objected to this law and sought to pull together a petition to force a public referendum, to put it on the ballot, and hope that a majority of Houston... Texan citizens would vote in a in maybe a prejudicial way, perhaps even a bigoted way, depending on how you look at it. And they didn't; they were unable to round up the right number of legal signatures. There's an irony here. The same sort of politically conservative mentality that has passed laws in the state of Texas, recently upheld by the Supreme Court, in fact, that would restrict voter participation to people who didn't meet a fairly high standard of identification and registration Well, that same logic would restrict the gathering of petitions and the certification of those petitions. So at the same time that perhaps a Republican-led legislature in Texas was trying to pass laws to make it harder for some people to vote, it also made it harder for this group of churches to get the right number of signatures certified. But the churches were unhappy with this answer, and they chose to sue. So they sued the city, and in defense of itself against a lawsuit that didn't come from the city officials, it came – from the ch- the churches, they hired some lawyers and set out. The first thing you do, probably, that what is the information we need to subpoena to defend ourselves against a lawsuit? The information that they would need is background information on how the petitions were actually gathered, including specifically what kind of instructions were given to the volunteers who went out seeking to fill up pages and pages and pages with signatures, because if there was something illegal or even inept and naive about those instructions that could be used to defend yourself against a lawsuit that failing to certify the petitions that were turned in was politically motivated. Unfortunately, the law firm that they hired issued a request for information that was, well, let's just call it far too broad, including subpoenaing things that had nothing or that might not have anything to do with the petition drive, and actually including things like Sunday sermons in the list of materials that were being sought. Now, for whatever reason, this led to widespread, politically conservative outrage. And I say for whatever reason, because I, I get it. It kind of conforms to a paranoid notion that some people on you know parts and say, corners of our country have about jackbooted thugs going door to door, taking our religion away from us. But really, this was kind of just a big misunderstanding prompted by the fact that a group of churches sued the city. I'll come back to why the lawsuit was in a minute. I'm going to try to downplay it some, because I don't want this to be an inappropriate conversation show. I just want to make a distinction between maybe the right way and the wrong way for the church to engage in political activism. In this case, I'm going to suggest that this particular church had done it the wrong way, because first off, they engaged in a legal process, and then were surprised that the inevitable consequences of that legal process came their way. But second, I was genuinely confused by their response. I have some pastor friends. In fact, I have probably more pastor friends than your average person, I would guess. And some of them were saying, you know, that this was an outrage, that they were, they couldn't believe it. They were aghast. They were opposed. I I said, you know what, guys, you know me well enough to know that on a few occasions in my past, I have stood up during a worship service on a Sunday morning and as a lay speaker spoken to the congregation during that time of sermon or message. In other words... Just to use a little shorthand and cut to the chase, I have given a sermon before on a Sunday morning, and it wouldn't bother me for one second. In fact, it would more than just not bother me. I might actually be in some ways weirdly pleased if city officials wanted to subpoena a written con- you know, transcript of that message and read it. First off, any message I've ever given on a Sunday morning was given in a public place to presumably a public gathering. Now, I was part of a mainstream Protestant church. Still am part of a mainstream denomination, I would say. There's no secret handshake. There's no super secret codes. Whatever I said from the pulpit, I would have been, again, delighted if the mayor had shown up to hear it, and I would have been equally delighted if the mayor wanted to read about it later. To me, that's almost evangelism, right? Somebody that you view as being your political opposite or perhaps even political enemy wants to read your words, There's no threat there. There's no threat of harm there. And in fact, it even provides you a measure of protection if your paranoid fears are true. Here's what I mean nothing bad happens because the mayor wants to read your sermon for the last handful of Sundays. But what if the mayor is, as you describe, a dangerous person with an agenda? And now all of a sudden, you're being, um, you have a uh, speed trap at the end of your street. That stays there for days or weeks or months, or suddenly there's pending road construction in front of your place of business where the city has used the orange barrels to cordon off the entrance to the, the at least the most logically available entrance to your business place impacting your ability to reach your customers. And especially if seemingly no construction ever comes from it, if you get you know a sudden unexpected audit, especially if it was driven through the city officials in this case rather than through the federal government, if things like that start happening after they have subpoenaed and read your sermon, well, now you've got a pretty good case for harassment. You've got a pretty good case for retaliation. You're at least in better shape than you would be if you were just receiving this unfortunate set of events and you couldn't tie it to anything. So in some ways, the fact that the mayor has asked for your Sunday sermon messages in transcript form and read them gives you an almost additional layer of protection against whatever a politically motivated person might do. I don't consider this to be some gem of unbelievable wisdom. I'm humble when I say that this seems kind of obvious to me. But when you're looking to be persecuted, it's not hard to find it. And when you're looking to try to understand what's going on in the other person's mind and heart, it also can be equally relatively easy to find it. It all depends on what you're looking for. And as somebody who's spent a lot of time walking the earth and seeing the gospel message shared from a variety of different congregations, to a variety of different congregations, and in a variety of different ways, I can say that Jesus would tell us to turn the other cheek, walk the extra mile, walk a mile in the other person's shoes. If they demand your coat, give them your shirt as well. See things from their perspective. That is how Jesus would choose to do it. And more than just a couple of pastors, I think, completely missed that boat. In addition to not understanding that this I Stand Sunday is misdirected entirely because it isn't the persecution that it's described, in many ways the city, again clumsily, was trying to defend itself against a lawsuit initiated by those pastors. But in other ways, I'm really struggling to find out. What bad thing might have happened if lawyers and elected city officials had spent a little bit of time reading a sermon? It calls to question what might have been getting shared from those pulpits that those pastors were so afraid of. What would the documentation be used to do? And perhaps it gets back to this distinction that we might make about the right way and the wrong way to speak political words from the pulpit a pastor i feel pretty close to said hey you know what he'd be worried because he has politics in almost all of his sermons that you can't share the gospel message without dipping into an area that might be described as political my answer that was so what yes jesus tells us to feed the poor in a lot of places that would be viewed as an extremely political and perhaps even controversial worldview so yes to some extent the pulpit is the appropriate place for having these sort of conversations but pulpit freedom sunday was about the idea of telling people how to vote who to vote out of office what to do and in some cases if you don't do as i say as the pastor leading this flock then you're likely to be you know damned eternally so being able to threaten people who do not have a mature understanding of the gospel message with the threat of eternal damnation and the fires of hell, is a fairly inappropriate use of political communication. Now, I was for many years part of the United Methodist Church, and the United Methodist Church has strong opinions about gambling. But I don't recall ever hearing a message where the pastor said, vote no on this particular gambling issue, or I won't serve you communion anymore. But it's not that hard to find, say... Catholic or Lutheran congregations, where that kind of threat is real. Vote the way I want, or I won't be serving you communion anymore. So, that's the wrong way to do it. What is the right way? Well, I've got a post that I shared up there called, Band-Aids Aren't Enough. It was written by Roger Wolsey. If I'm not mistaken, Wolsey is also responsible for the Facebook page, Kissing Fish, and I've shared many things from Kissing Fish's site before, I think it raises the right kinds of questions. And in this, it's almost a election Sunday type of, it's almost a sermon, in fact. He shares a message that he wrote and delivered to the people of Heritage United Methodist Church in 2004, a church in Colorado, and he pretty much goes on to quote, the kind of passages you might quote if your perspective was somewhat more progressively liberal the book of Amos in particular, at some length. But his message did not at any point tell people what they had to do inside that voting booth. In many ways, it simply quoted both scripture and statistics to give people a sense of where we as a church were falling short. And I would say falling short both in following Jesus, but also falling short politically. Examples. Uh, Every day, approximately 29,000 people in the world die of hunger, or hunger related to diseases. 80 million children, between the ages of 10 and 14, work for low wages, in often dangerous conditions, to supply inexpensive products for citizens of wealthier nations to consume. These sorts of statistics, undeniably political, shared from the public of that United Methodist Church, and frankly, I've heard similar statistics in a similar manner, shared from the pulpit ...of the United Methodist Church that I attend. These are not problematic messages. That's a good use of politics from the pulpit. Calling people's attention to things... ...where our attention is not naturally perhaps drawn to be. And asking questions for us to consider. Where your own conscience or the Holy Spirit... ...will guide you on what to do on voting day. You don't need the pastor to tell you that. You don't need a Sunday school teacher either to tell you that. Your own conscience the holy spirit as a christian will tell you what to do on voting day but the pulpit is a very appropriate place to call the information forward and to give people things to think about and meditate upon and consider so let me double back to the houston texas story just briefly to ask the question that i i almost asked but didn't quite ask i wanted to ask when all the blood was running high on the question of whether or not the You know, city government in Houston had overstepped its authority. Well, it it had. Its lawyers had made a mistake. The city announced that when they heard the feedback loudly and clearly. And they, of course, since retracted those subpoenas. Of course, the Ice Stand Sunday events went on as scheduled because it's the wrong kind of politics. You can't pass up an opportunity like that if you're a political activist, even if it was all based upon a complete misunderstanding. To me, the question I wanted to ask was the core question. So if Walk the Earth is going to get a little bit political, maybe it gets a little bit political right here. You're a pastor. You've decided you want to stand in defense of this group of Houston pastors and their congregations on an I Stand Sunday hashtag, screaming it from the hills, defending their worldview. What are you standing in favor of? I guess the question has to be, what did the city council do that was so offensive that led to the petition drive in the first place, and later led to the lawsuit over the registration of those signatures. Simply that nobody should get fired for their from their job for if for no other reason than who they love. In principle, it's just that simple. If you are one of the best employees in your work group and you have a spotless record and you're doing excellent work and you're you know making the company money or you're defending their mission statement in some other meaningful way no one should be able to fire you because you live with somebody that the boss would not live with if he were you that it ought to be that simple and the concept is that we shouldn't be discriminating against people based on their race their gender their color their creed or their religious beliefs or their sexual orientation this is what those churches were standing against this is what they were using their bully pulpit to defend. They were, in essence, saying that they not only believed that it was okay for businesses to fire people on the basis of of who their family was or what their sexual orientation was, but they were outright in support of it. Meaning that if you were somebody who was living with somebody that you love but happened to be of the same gender, here's six Protestant churches got together in a conglomeration to essentially say to anybody who would listen, that in their opinion, you should be fired and you should be unhirable and I guess taken to its logical extreme, you should die in a ditch because my guess is the political orientation of those same people would not lead them to want to provide for you on welfare or anything of that sort. So I guess the question is, the issue isn't necessarily going to be whose politics Just because I shared a good example from a progressive pastor and referred to a bad example from a group of conservative pastors doesn't make this fall along conservative versus liberal lines. The question is, how do you manage it? But if you take both of these approaches to their logical extreme, one, the progressive Christian, he took the risk that in his sermon he was spending maybe more time with statistics and less time with scriptural quotes, That's sort of something to be aware of and perhaps wary of depending on how it's done. But the other group was actually arguing, engaging in social activism in support of, firing people for no earthly reason, making sure that they couldn't necessarily get hired again because the law would have covered both the in and outdoor of the employment process, and perhaps even leaving them no choice but death. That's a pretty dark thing to draw a line in the sand and stand on top of. And I think when a church does that, when a church finds itself so far away from doing things as Jesus did them, Jesus, who is certainly, according to scripture, indifferent to these questions of gay rights, for example, to draw yourself a line and to stand on the other side of that, to be on the side of the line that Jesus was not, seems to me to be a mistake. So when I go back to the things that I wrote earlier about not necessarily being worried that the fate of our nation you know, stood on preventing churches from being sort of a corrupt Tammany Hall type organization, rallying the vote for specific candidates that a pastor told people to vote for, else their, their eternal salvation could be at some sort of jeopardy. That sort of political corruption through the church, I wasn't worried about the fate of the republic so much as I was worried about the church itself. Because any church that loses sight of the needs of individuals who would prefer to threaten the life or at least the welfare of people from an employment perspective rather than to stand up and defend them clearly doesn't understand anything that jesus taught or demonstrated in the bible so if the answer to the question today is whether the church has a vital role to play in national elections it certainly does but i think my answer is yes indirectly because the more directly the church tries to play that role the more likely the church is going to fail and betray itself but in many subtle indirect ways it's very possible and very helpful if a church talks about an issue of concern and makes a comparison to what jesus taught and what jesus did it would be interesting at some other time to talk a little bit about the current um, the current news of the day being all about the ebola virus and trying to find the way jesus handled lepers to see if that provides us any guidance on what Jesus thought we should do with a potentially deadly virus. But that's a different topic for a different day. If and as you are led, please join me in prayer. Lord God Almighty, you know that I am a political animal, but it is my prayer that I yield the authority to the king who who has earned that. I, I remember years ago hearing a brother in Christ, give a a speech and a moment of witness and kind of reminding people that even if you don't like who the current president is, not to forget who's the Lord on the throne. Lord Jesus, you are the Lord on that throne. Help us not to forget that and act as if we're afraid that you're not really in charge by manipulating people, by behaving inappropriately in the electoral process. Jesus, it's enough for us to engage in politics by simply introducing people to you and talking with them about how you'd handle similar situations. So, Lord, as we look at these complex and, for some people, seemingly difficult issues about the rights of employers, the rights of customers, and the rights of people who are different from others to live their life free from interference or even threats and intimidation, Lord, help us to find the guidance we need through you first and foremost as we navigate through political issues as opposed to finding political answers and trying to use those political worldviews to guide us through your scriptures and get us through unscathed. Lord, I know you've given us hard words. Help me and help others not to dodge the difficulty of the instructions and the examples you've given as we try to find our way through the right path on how to vote and how to be activists in the right sort of way. In your holy name we pray. Amen. What happened this morning, man, I agree, it was peculiar. But water into wine, I... All shapes and sizes, Vincent. You not talk to me that way, man. If my answers frighten you, Vincent, then you should cease asking scary questions. next on Walk the Earth, whether serving at a food bank or soup kitchen is more worshipful than what we call church. Thanks for listening.